4: Society 13 and Frogzilla Radio proudly present
3: Frog Watch with your friend and host, Big Tony Rousick, aka Frog Watch.
2: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Last month we lost a really great one in Greg Lake. Greg was such an important figure in the birth of our favorite genre of music called progressive rock that I could not let his passing go without doing a tribute program. When it comes down to it, Greg really was right there at the birth of Prague. He played a big part on the first King Crimson album which some would say was the very first true progressive rock album. Later, of course, he was also in one of the biggest prog acts from the 1970s, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. When I was a young man in the early to mid-80s, I was very much into what you now call classic rock, the Beatles, the Who, the Doors. But I was already developing progressive leanings. I was into Pink Floyd, the Alan Parsons Project, the Moody Blues, and Genesis, for example. A little later, I met a man who guested on this show on a few occasions, Steve Ludig, and we were in a band together. We discovered that we had a lot of overlap in some of those bands I just mentioned, but he had more far-out taste than I did in some regards. He got me into the Peter Gabriel era genesis, for example. Until then, I had only heard the late 70s and early 80s Phil Collins era stuff. And, very importantly, he loaned me the first King Crimson album. This was an eye-opener for me. The music was so different from everything else I was used to listening to, and the singer had this great voice, and was also one heck of a bass player. As a bass player and a bit of a singer myself, I was immediately anxious to hear more of this guy, Greg Lake. Steve told me that he was in Emerson Lake and Palmer, and I knew of them a little from Lucky Man and Carnival 9, but I knew very little else. And at first I was very resistant to this band, Being very much a guitar guy at the time, I thought, how can you have a band without a guitar player? Well, Steve told me, Lake also played some guitar, and Emerson was a keyboard virtuoso. So I started listening and gave it a chance. And I have to tell you that a lot of Greg Lake's guitar-oriented stuff acted as the gateway, if you will, to get me deeper into ELP and eventually much deeper into progressive rock as a whole. With such a deep respect and admiration for Greg and a love of his music, I was deeply saddened to hear of his passing last month. And it came as such a shock. He was such a private guy and he kept his illness so well hidden. It was just like I woke up that morning and looked at Facebook and it was full of all my prog friends posting RIP Greg Lake and the like. First thing in the morning, it was really hard to process, but sadly the news was quickly confirmed on multiple news sources. Greg was gone. As a guy with a prog rock show, I knew I couldn't let Greg go without a tribute. He was truly one of the giants of our genre. But I'd like to let some time pass and reflect a little before I do this kind of a show. I'm ready now, so welcome back, my friends, to the show that never will end, The Legacy of Greg Lake. I've got a nice little career retrospective planned out for you guys with some unexpected things that you probably don't hear all the time and maybe a few you never have heard. I'm also going to play a few segments of Greg reflecting on some of the highlights of his career. These come from a wonderful live album he did called Songs of a Lifetime. So Gregory Stewart Lake was born on 10 November 1947 in Dorset, England. By the age of 12, he had developed an interest in music and was actually taking lessons with the same teacher as his classmate and future prog icon in his own right, Robert Fripp. Eventually, the two founded King Crimson. We're going to hear more about those early years a little later, but for now I want to get the music moving with a tune from the second King Crimson album, In the Wake of Poseidon, from 1970. Don't worry, I'm not going to bypass the first album. We'll hear from it a little later. Anyway, this one is called Pictures of a City. Of a city from the second King Crimson album, In the Wake of Poseidon, from 1970. Now let's hear Greg talking about King Crimson.
3: King Crimson was a very strange band. Some of you know. A few of the things that made it strange were that Robert Fripp and I grew up together. We went to the same guitar teacher and he practiced our lessons together as kids. We went around to each other's houses and practiced together. So Bottom line was that when we came to uh, form King Crimson, we were basically like a, a pair of mirrors, really. I knew everything he knew, and he knew everything I knew. And yet, when you looked up at the stage, of course, we looked like two separate people. That was one strange phenomenon about the band. Another one was that Ian MacDonald, the gentleman who played the flute and the mellotron, and actually wrote quite a lot of the songs. He had never been in a rock band before. He came from a military brass band, which was, in a way, was a very good thing because he never had any sort of preconceived ideas of, uh, you know, what a rock band should be. He he was very fresh in that way. And lastly, there was Michael Giles, the drummer. And Michael, I suppose you could best describe him as being something out of the great Gatsby, you know, 1920, English gentleman, very fine-dressed, you know, small moustache. But the incredible thing about Michael was that he had absolute independence between his left and his right hand and his left foot and his right foot. And he could actually play four different time signatures simultaneously. And, of course, for a bass player, that was a nightmare. (laughs) And he used to make great sport out of doing drum fills that I couldn't come back in time with. That was his fun for the night, you know. But lastly, there was Pete Sinfield, who actually started off doing the lights. But as we made the first album, he kept coming in with pieces of paper with bits of lyrics written on them. In the end, Pete became the lyricist to the band. So that was King Crimson. And I remember making the first album that was really the only album I was involved in. It was called In the Court of the Crimson King. And these are the things that you've heard tonight. Thank you very much. I remember getting about halfway through the record and we realized we didn't have an album cover. None of us knew anything at all about graphic art, but Pete said, I've got a friend who's a graphic artist. He may be able to do something. So he said, okay, Pete, give him a shout, see if he can come up with an idea for the album cover. And it just so happened on the day when he turned up, we were recording Schizoid Man, which is what you heard at the very front of the show. The door opened in the studio and there stood this young man and none of us knew him except Pete knew him of course and Pete called him over said come over Barry meet the band you know and as he walked over we realized he had a brown parcel under his arm wrapped up in string and after we'd said hello he took a pair of scissors out of his pocket and he snipped the string and tore off the paper parcel and at our feet he dropped This album cover. And, you know, the remarkable thing about it, apart from it is obviously a fantastic work of art, but it it was actually, we were staring into the face of Schizoid Man. And the incredible thing was that we'd only recorded that song that very afternoon. There was no way that he could have possibly known or heard it because we hadn't heard it ourselves. And so that was an incredible uh, coincidence. And another, I mean, a tragic, really, another tragic development with that story was that young Barry, who did this, was only 21 years old at the time. And three days later, he was walking down the street and he dropped dead of a heart attack. Of course, we were stunned. We were absolutely stunned. And we just didn't know what to do. But I mean, we loved the album cover. I mean, it's not one that you would sort of argue about, is it right or not? You know? Well, some people would. But, you know, we were all in love with the album cover. And the other thing was, we felt that it was a wonderful tribute to this very talented young man. And I'm so glad we did because it lives on today. And there he is, the wonderful face of Schizoid Man. Thank you, you're very kind. Like
4: I said, we'll hear from the first King Crimson album a little later, but now let's move ahead to 1972. Greg was a few albums into his career with ELP when the band made Trilogy, which included this, one of my favorite Greg Lake ELP tunes, From the Beginning.
1: I shouldn't have served
4: Again, that was from the beginning by ELP from Trilogy in 1972. After the first heyday of Prague had ended with the 70s, Greg embarked on a solo career, putting together his first solo studio album, simply entitled Greg Lake, in 1981. The late great Gary Moore of Skid Row, Thin Lizzy, and Coliseum 2 played lead guitar. From that album, let's listen to Nuclear Attack. nuclear attack from Greg's first solo album simply titled Greg Lake in 1981
0: you're listening to the station with the best mix of music progzilla bringing you the best progressive music has to offer No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: It took a few years, but when Greg left King Crimson after the second album, he was eventually replaced by John Wetton. In 1983, Greg got to turn the tables, in a manner of speaking, and replace John Wetton for a very brief time in the newly formed Asia. John had had a temporary falling out with the rest of the band, which would eventually be resolved. But Asia had an important gig in Japan scheduled. This gig was to be filmed for broadcast on MTV, who actually played music back in those days. So the band did not want to cancel. Thus Carl Palmer called Greg and asked him to fill in, which Greg did. So here's Greg recorded live at Budokan with Asia in 1983, doing a great song from the first Asia album called Time Again. <laughs> Once again, that was Greg Lake filling in for John Wetton in Asia for a live performance at Budokan in Japan. The year was 1983. In that same year, Greg also released his second studio album entitled Maneuvers. From it, let's listen to one of my favorites called Famous Last Words. Again, that was famous last words from Greg's second solo studio record, Maneuvers, in 1983. Now let's hear from Greg again, this time talking about what an important influence the Beatles represented in his early musical career.
3: One of the other great early influences upon me, and probably upon you too, was the Beatles. I had the very good fortune of touring with Ringo a few years back, and before I, yeah, good old Ringo. And before I went out on tour with him, I thought I'd get the best of the Beatles book, you know, to see, just in case he wanted to play a song at short notice, you know. And I bought the book and I took it home. And I sat there one evening, it was about six o'clock, and I started to play through the book. It got to about 11 o'clock and I realised I was only halfway through. And I flipped to the back and I could see there was over 200 songs there. And it's an incredible body of work when you think of the short time they were together. Anyway, when it came time for the tour, I put the book into my wardrobe case and I sent all my equipment off to Canada, where we were starting. Eventually, I walked into the rehearsal room and there I saw Ringo and he was having a look at my wardrobe case because I had a very flashy new wardrobe case with all lights in it and everything and he's fascinated by equipment. Anyway... As he was looking at this wardrobe case, he'd found the book, you know. So he said to me, hey, Greg, what's this? And I said, it's the best of the Beatles book. You must have seen it. And he said, no, I never, I never saw it, you know. <laughs> so I said, yeah, you know, it's got, it's got all the songs in it. I said, tell me something, Rich. You know, I've been lucky. I've had a few hits in my life. But how do you have 200? How can that possibly happen? And he said to me, Greg, you know, every day the Beatles were in existence. Wherever we were, whatever we were doing, John and Paul would come in with at least one song each. And invariably they were hit songs, you know. And that is truly a phenomenal thing. And I was also very fortunate to see the Beatles in the very early days before they ever came here to play. And they were just stunning. I mean, I don't know if anyone here saw them, but... They were just unbelievable live. They were very tight, very powerful, fantastic harmonies, pitch perfect. But they had this property which was almost spiritual to be able to somehow be better than great. They would push you to a point where you couldn't stand it emotionally. You didn't know whether to laugh or cry. And you've heard the term Beatlemania, and that is exactly what that is they could drive an audience beyond the point where they just lost it, really, and started to scream. And I saw it with my own eyes. It was a phenomenal thing. Very similar, in fact, to the story I told you just now about Elvis. Both of these acts had that ability, that spiritual power, to drive an audience right over the edge. And it's uh, it's a remarkable thing. You only see it once or twice in a lifetime.
4: In there, you heard Greg talking about his time with Ringo and his all-star band, and we're going to actually hear a recording from that tour a little later. But for now, let's fast forward to 1993, after Emerson, Lake, and Palmer had reunited for Black Moon in 1992. That year, 93 I mean, they also released a four-disc box set called Return of the Manticore, which included some interesting reimaginings of music from the formative years of Messrs E, L, and P. They redid Fire, which Palmer had played on with The Crazy World of Arthur Brown. They redid 21st Century Schizoid Man from Lake's early years with King Crimson. And this next song, which is one of my favorites. It's a reworking of The Nice's Hang On to a Dream and gives us an idea of what The Nice might have sounded like with Greg Lake on bass and vocals.
2: Can I say she's walking away with all we saw? What can I do? Still loving you, it's all a dream. How can we hang on? How can it really be can I do? She's still saying it's through with how it was. What will I find? I still can't see why. She says what she does.
4: Again, that was Hang On to a Dream by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer from their Return of the Manticore box set in 1993. Greg Lake's relationship with Peter Sinfield goes all the way back to the first King Crimson albums and continued into Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. In 1973, Peter made an album called Still with help from friends such as Ian Wallace, Keith Tippett, Boz Burrell, John Wetton, and of course Greg Lake. The album was reissued in 1993 under the title Stillusion. From that album, here's Greg helping out his old mate, Pete Sinfield, on the song Still.
1: Still, I wonder how it is to be a stream From a dark... flowing, winding seawards over ancient mossy wheels.
4: that was Still from Peter Sinfield's Stillusion album released in 1993. Let's hear from Greg one more time, this time talking about his first guitar and a famous song he wrote around the time that he got that guitar.
3: When I was 12 years old, I was around my friend's house and he had a broken down old guitar. In fact, it only had one string on it. Luckily, it it was the bottom string. With a matchstick, I picked out this tune. The Dwayne Eddy piece. It made me think, you know, perhaps I could play guitar, you know. So it came to Christmas, and I said to my mum, do you think there's any chance of me having a guitar for Christmas? And she said, no. (laughs) And, you know, we were pretty poor, so that was it. I just accepted it. But anyway, Christmas came, and there it was, the guitar. And, of course, I was thrilled, the first four chords I learned were D, A minor, E minor, and G. With these chords, I wrote this little song, the kids song really, and it was a medieval fantasy really. And I never wrote it on a piece of paper, I just remembered the words. It was many, many years later we were recording the first ELP album. And We got to the end of the record, and we were one track short. Everybody looked round the studio, you know, has anybody got any more material? And there was deadly silence. So I said, well, look, you know, I've got this little thing I wrote when I was a kid, and if there's nothing else, maybe that would do, you know. So Keith said, well, you play it then. I said, listen, so I played it, and nobody liked it. (laughs) And so I said, yeah, but, you know, the thing is, we've got nothing else. Keith said, well, you record it on your own, and I'm going to go down the pub. So (laughs) off he went down the pub. So Carl Palmer and I, we recorded the first pass together, just drums and acoustic guitar. And it sounded pretty dreadful. But then I put a bass on it, and it sounded a bit better. And then I went and put some more guitars on it, and electric guitar solo. and, And then I put these harmonies on, these block harmonies, and... In the end, it sounded pretty good. You know, it sounded like a record. Eventually, Keith came back from the pub and he heard it and was shocked. You know, it had gone from this silly little folk song to this quite big production. And so he said, Wow, you know, I suppose I'd better play on that. <laughs> so I said, The thing is, uh, I've already put the guitar solo on. And he said, Look, I, I could play something at the end. He said, Look, I've just had this gadget delivered next door. It's called a Moog synthesizer. He said, I haven't tried it before, but maybe there's a sound on there that would work on this. So I said, okay, why don't we give it a try? And so Keith went out into the next room and he said, run the track then for an experiment. So I flipped it in record and pressed play. And because he was experimenting, we didn't really listen. In fact, we put the speakers on dim. The track went through and Keith experimented and when it got to the end, I turned to the engineer, Eddie Offord, and I said, was that me or did that sound good? And Eddie said, I think it did sound good. And we played it back, and that is the solo that's on the record. So I said to Keith, Keith, you've got to come and hear this. It's quite extraordinary. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I was only playing around just, just experimenting. I could do a much better one. And I said, look, the thing is, Keith, we've only got this track left. If you do another one, we wipe this one out. I think you've got to listen to it because we think it's the keeper. So in the end, after a lot of two in and fro, and Keith came in and heard it. And then it was game, set, match, and that became the record. And so that was really the making of Lucky Man.
4: So here's the song he was talking about. And this fulfills my promise to let you hear some of Greg's work with Ringo and his all-stars. This is an excellent version of Lucky Man from the album Ringo and his new all-star band, Released in
2: 2002. He had white horses And ladies by the score All dressed in satin And waiting by the door Ooh, what a lucky man he
1: was All together Ooh, what a lucky man he was
2: White lace and feathers They made up his bed the mattress on which he was laid
4: That was a live version of lucky man recorded on tour with ringo and his new all-stars from the early part of this century
0: progzilla bringing you the best progressive music has to offer No purchase necessary. Void we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Next, I'd like to play something for you which will probably go down as one of the last things ever released by Greg Lake, unless we get some other kind of posthumous stuff from the archives. But this album itself was kind of from the archives. It comes from a period right before the release of Black Moon by Emerson Lake and Palmer, where Greg was working with Jeff Downs of Asia. The two had each brought a few songs along with them and wrote some more together. These tapes sat for a long time in the vaults, but eventually were released in 2015 under the album title Ride the Tiger. What I'm going to play for you is a song that later showed up on Black Moon, but this is the earlier version, I guess you would say, by Jeff Downs and Greg Lake on the song called Affairs of the Heart.
2: Time we say goodbye. I call her room, there's no reply. Tonight we end this fleeting love affair.
4: Again, that was an early version of the ELP song Affairs of the Heart that was released from a recording project that Greg Lake was working on with Jeff Downs before ELP reformed to do Black Moon in 1992. The album was called Ride the Tiger and it was released in 2015. Those live storytelling segments I played throughout the show came from an album Greg released in 2013 called Songs of a Lifetime. If you have not heard it, I suggest you do. It features great live versions of songs which represent a fantastic body of work, which we have touched on in this program. From that album, I'd like to play one, which is another Greg Lake classic from the ELP years. Still, You Turn Me On.
1: Wanna be an angel, you wanna be a star Play some magic on my guitar mm-hmm. you want to be a poet you want to be my strength? you could be anything do so you want to be the lover of another
2: i the cover you could even be the man on the moon you want to be the player? You wanna be the stream?
1: Let me tell you something. You just don't mean a thing. You see, it really doesn't matter when you're buried in this sky. Your flesh has crystallized Still You
3: turn me on
1: You where I lay my head You want to be the feathers lying in my bed You want to be the cover of a magazine Create a scene Every day a little sadder, A little matter, Someone get me alive Be the Do you want to be the same? Do you want to be the song? Let me tell you something You just couldn't be more wrong see, I really have
3: Thank you very much. You're very kind. Thank you.
4: That was Still You Turn Me On from Greg Lake's album Songs of a Lifetime. And oh, what a lifetime it was for the prog icon Greg Lake. I wish he had lived to give us more great music. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed my tribute to Greg and I hope you heard a few unexpected gems from the career of this legend. As promised, I will leave you with one from the first King Crimson album. In the Court of the Crimson King, the classic epitaph. So long, Greg, and thanks for all the great music.